Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a Bible or sermon notes, please put a hand up and we've got volunteers that are going to bring those to you right now to make sure you've got a copy of God's Word. Uh, We're going to be in John 18 today, starting at verse 15, page 899 in this hardback. All right, so Gabriel and I started having fun a few weeks ago on a basketball hoop that the Smiths graciously donated. So the front of the Kaiser household now has this brand new awesome toy, and there's nothing more hilarious than the one in your house being most excited about the basketball hoop is like three feet tall at best, if he stretches. Uh, So what does this mean that Gabriel is super excited to play basketball, but the lowest setting on the hoop, I believe, is seven feet, eight feet, something like that. This means dad has to get off his lazy derriere and go out front and play some basketball with Gabe's, right? Now, here's the fun thing that happens, though, not just with Gabe's, but every small child that has ever been lifted up to a basketball hoop. They live in a world of hooray you, Right? Lots of affirmation that you just hope doesn't turn him into a narcissist later, right? So dad lifts up Gabriel. He has a slam dunk, eight feet in the air, slam dunk, and it's yay, Gabriel, right? Because he did all the work, right? After about five or six of those, I was like, I'm out, I'm out of shape, man. And he's like, again, again. This is human nature, We accomplished something, we did 3% of the work, and it's, yay me, I'm really good at this, I need to renegotiate my contract. And we walk away telling a story of, wow, I was on the court and I was amazing and I had this slam dunk, it was so great. When in reality, it would have been far more honest if we had the perspective. It would have been far more honest to say, hey, dad did 97% of the work, and I had so much fun participating with what dad was doing. Christians, you know I'm already preaching, right? Okay. And, And you know what? I have no disdain. I'm not laughing and chuckling at my son when he says, yay, Gabriel. So we can be theologically a mess and still deeply adored by our father. That's why he calls himself father and we are children. We know just a little bit of what he's doing. We overestimate our contribution. And he adores us anyway and he'll lift us up again to do it again and five more times after that. And I wonder sometimes if I'll get to leave for glory, having ever contributed more than three or four percent. Because the lowest setting on the hoop is eight feet in the air. When we walk away from the basketball hoop, what kind of a story do we tell? Who is the hero of the story? Am I the hero or is Jesus the hero who lifted my cross, who saved me, who saved his church, who is redeeming the world? 
Who's the hero of the story that I tell? That is the central question today. Our series that we're preaching through right now, The Passion of the Christ, The Suffering of Jesus, we're going to take, go through John 18 all the way through 21 of the last day or so of Jesus' life before he gives up his spirit on Good Friday. Uh, our text today is, we're going to start at verse 15. The sermon title today is, He Is and I Am Not. These two opposite statements we're going to hear both from Jesus and from Peter Page 899, chapter 18, verse 15. Judas has just betrayed Jesus. The disciples have fled. Peter chopped off a guy's ear. You know, the normal stuff you do on a Thursday night. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. Uh, theologians pretty much believe this is John, the writer of the gospel. He had some kind of family connection through marriage or through business or whatever, but he was known and so he could get them in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Pastor Dennis already preached 19 through 24, so come down to verse 25 with me. This conversation inside is going on in this this kangaroo court of Jesus, trying to accuse him of something that he didn't do. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us your word this morning? Help us to hear what you are saying to us in 21st century Northern California. God, help us to hear your voice if we don't yet worship you as God. Help us to hear your voice if we do. And give us what we need to gladly obey what we hear. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Note takers, God has ordained a special ministry for you <coughs> to testify about him. There is a special ministry set aside for you to testify about him. That sounds cool, Greg. Where'd you get that? I'm glad you asked. Houses 2,000 years ago were not like what we're envisioning right now. There was no glass on the windows. They're inside, I'm outside, I can't hear the conversation. No, we're just talking about two groups of people that either have a roof over their head or don't. So inside are high priest, a handful of the Sanhedrin, soldiers, Jesus, accusations, a slap across the face, 
open air. So I want you to think of like a Spanish villa or maybe a nice hotel where they've got the big glass doors open. You're inside at the bar or you're outside by the fire pit, but it's all open air. And if you talk loud enough, you, you can hear each other. They may be within 40 or 50 feet of each other. John and Peter are the two that hear all of the conversation inside and how they, this is how they wrote it down. Okay? Where would we have the story of what happened inside? These guys are all within earshot. That means Jesus can hear Peter's denials too. The Gospel of Luke tells us that at Peter's third denial, Jesus looked at him. They're right there. Saints, Jesus is no, he knows what you've done. He knows every filthy thing that you've done, and he has still chosen to love us. He knows. John, through nothing that he did, and the scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know if his cousin married somebody. Like We don't know what his connection is to the high priest's family. It's just that he can walk up, and the girl at the gate knows him and lets him in. Oh, oh he's with me. Let's Peter in. And we have, again, we have this story, we have the verbal testimony from the two guys that were there because of a relational connection that John had that John did not create. Saints, you have relationships, you have access to people in your workplace, the person who lives next door to you, you have access to ministry that God designed. Here's how the Protestant world tends to say it, and they're not wrong. You might be the only Jesus that somebody sees this week, okay? And it might be the exact same the week after and the exact same the week after because you're the only Christian they know. What relationships has God given you? What opportunities has he given you where he anticipates, because he purchased you at a high price. He purchased me at a high price. And he purchases all. That's the whole word. That we don't like the word Lord. Lord means he owns it all. And when he purchased you, when he purchased me, he purchased every relational bridge from Greg to somebody else. He purchased the joy that he was going to implant inside me that I would testify of his goodness and testify of what his cross achieved testify of his goodness in the world. He purchased all of my network of relationships. He bought every one of my Facebook friends and my real ones and my connections to my family, my connections to my neighbor, my connection to my classmates. Maybe you're the boss at work. You have some type of authority. Maybe you have money. And heaven help us, money gives a type of leverage, doesn't it? I don't know. Maybe you speak the dominant language in the land where you live. Does that give leverage? There are all kinds of opportunities that were already in you before Jesus saved you. And he knows the future and you don't, right? So maybe he was up to something. John, who wrote this book, is testifying of a critical, 
powerful. Like, nobody who loves Jesus wants to hear this story of him being accused and of him being beaten. No one wants to hear this story, but do we need to hear it? We need to know what we did to God. That wasn't them, that was us. Who's the hero in this story? (laughs) We are uh, shirking away in the dark. We are denying that we know him. We are accusing him of evil. We are slapping him. We are beating him. Who's the hero? There was a young man who was born without a left arm but deeply desired to learn karate. And his sensei said, I have a special program just for you, so I'm going to work with you one-on-one. And he spent months and months and months teaching this young man one move. Over and over again, just one move. Here's what I want you to do when we go to competition in a few months and you're going to be trying out your skills. And over and over and over, he had to do this move over and over You can imagine the frustration that would build. I want to learn other things. I want to learn other things. The young man goes to his very first tournament and defeats five opponents in a row to win the tournament. And he was one of the youngest in his age group. It was after he won the tournament where his sensei said to him, there's only one way to stop that move. You have to grab your opponent by their left arm. (laughs) Christian, is it possible that a deep wound in your life, God has a design for it? Does God have the right to challenge you in the pain points to say, others are hurting in that same spot and they don't know of my mercy. Go tell them of my mercy. Does he have the right to send you in the places of pain, in the places of brokenness? It's actually, it's not really rhetorical. Tragically. There's so many people out there right now taking uh, positive thinking mumbo-jumbo and mixing it with Christianity and kind of asserting that God just always wants you to be happy. But I think we can see in Scripture, many saints in the room can testify. He didn't make your pain go away. He used it. The Apostle Paul was better than you. Do you know that? Gosh, you're so glad you came to church today. You're just feeling so affirmed. He walked and preached, walked and preached. They tried to kill him, but he survived the stoning. And he ran home. No, he walked and preached and walked on foot, covered what today we call about five or six countries, and preached and preached and beaten and preached and preached and run out of town and preached and preached. He was better than you. He was better than me. And there was something painful in his life, and he asked the Lord three times to take it away. And God said, no, 
So clearly the answers to our prayers are not correlated with how hard we work for God, like he owes us something. God is not a vending machine and he will not be treated like one. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So lover of Christ, what circumstances do you have that create an opportunity to tell people about Jesus? What circumstances do you have? Use those circumstances, saints. Use them. Because everything belongs to him. He has purchased us at a high price. Second, when the cost of obedience had never been higher, Jesus said, I am. That was two sermons ago, right? Who are you looking for, Jesus the Nazarene? I am. (laughs) Hundreds of guys get knocked over on their backside. When the cost of obedience had never been higher, Peter said, I am not. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? I am not. So when you turn up the heat, Messiah declares who he is and removes all doubt with a display of power and lays down his life anyway. And when you turn up the heat, one of the very best among us play the role of the coward and save our own skin. Who's the hero in this story? Jesus had told Peter, Peter's in the middle of this, and again, my heart goes to him. He's a, he's a natural leader. He's impetuous. He's the oldest of the 12. Jesus has already designated him as the leader. And he says, even if I have to die for you, I would never abandon you. I'd never betray you. And that's when Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny that you even know me. Jesus already said this is going to happen. And something really, really important is happening in Peter's life and in Peter's ministry while these different folks are asking him, oh, you're one of his disciples? Something really big is happening in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the early days of the church, and in, indeed for years to come, Peter is going to be preaching and preaching and preaching. And this night is doing something very important to his future sermons. Peter's going to have a chance to leave the basketball hoop and say, Who was a big deal? Peter's going to stand in front of thousands just a matter of weeks after this betrayal. He's going to have a chance to say, who's the hero? Who's a really big deal? Who's the I am? And Peter has a problem. One, he's a sinner. Two, he's a leader. We know what human beings do with leadership. Three, he's walked on water. Four, his shadow is going to heal people just a few weeks after this. Would you be consumed with pride if you'd walked on water and your shadow healed people? I'm proud of myself when I say no to a churro. Wow, Greg, you're crushing it.
what the leader and the chief preacher of the 12, what he is going to preach for decades is being shaped this night around a charcoal fire. If Peter had any temptation, and he did, to think he was a big deal, Jesus is fixing that problem. He told him in advance, this is gonna get fixed. See, you're a sinner. See, you're broken, you're weak. You're not gonna be strong in this moment because this moment of crucible is for me to be strong, Peter, not for you to be strong. You're gonna be strong for decades, Peter, and you're gonna be strong because you saw what I did on my cross. You saw me empty my tomb, and you saw that you were not strong when I was. This is what's gonna shape you, Peter. This is gonna make you who you are. This is gonna form the testimony of the apostles. What is in the 21st century, what does a Christian's testimony sound like when they really think they're a pretty good person? We hear it all the time, unfortunately. People think they're sharing their testimony. They say, well, I was making some bad decisions. That's the first part. And then I decided to make a change to follow Jesus. Who was the active agent in that? I decided, I'm the active agent. I brought Jesus along to my agenda. And then I've been making different choices now. That actually doesn't sound any different than 12-step to me. And that's not what is ever told us in the Bible. The testimonies in the Bible are like this. So I was dead And then I heard, Lazarus, come out. In the Bible, there are stories like, hey, there was this whole army of us. We'd already died and we'd been dead so long our flesh had rotted away. We were just bones. And God sent a prophet to speak to the valley of dry bones. And now we're alive. There is no hero that you are going to see in this journey of the passion of the Christ. John 18 through John 21, where even when Jesus is graciously restoring Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Who's the strong one? The restorer or the restoree? This lady, in case you don't know, Johnny Erickson Tata, She, when she was 17 years old, misjudged the depth of some water and dove in and suffered a terrible spinal injury where she was paralyzed from the shoulders down. When you and I think of developing our artistic skills and learning how to paint, we don't even think, we assume. We assume we'll use our dominant hand and we'll learn how to paint. We don't even have to think about it. For us, it would be unbelievably difficult if you told us that our life's calling was to go paint and God said, sorry, Greg, you're not allowed to use your dominant hand. Yikes, that would be a lot of work to learn how to use my left hand to even draw a stick man, let alone to paint something beautiful. But Johnny has had no hands to work with. 
She had to learn to hold a paintbrush with her teeth. She can paint things like this. Anybody feel right now like you haven't made very much of your life? (laughs) With her teeth. And authored over 50 books and has a successful radio show helping people love Jesus more. Saints, when you're telling the story of God, what do you have to work with? Because I dare say, every one of us, to a man and to a woman, but for the Spirit of God, you and I are going to do what is natural to us. When it is time to do work, we're going to use the tools that we have and that we're comfortable using that we've always been using. And you know what tool we've been using before Christ? I tell the story of the good thing that I did by my power. I'm the hero. That is normative in the human experience. And even in situations where it's not socially acceptable to be the hero, we find a way to sneak it in. Greg, thinking Greg is awesome, is normal. That's as natural as my right hand. And Peter, with three betrayals, he has both of his hands chopped off. Peter, you will not glorify me by telling stories of your white-knuckled effort. I'm ripping that away from you. Peter, you've walked on water, but you're not going to wave that flag because you remember that night you betrayed me three times? Peter, you have nothing left to preach but me. That's what the sovereign God says to Peter on this night. And it is what a sovereign God will continue to do in your life and in my life because he is a jealous God and he shares his glory with none. And why would he? Somebody making a big deal about Greg gets no one into heaven. So God being a jealous God for his own glory is beautiful and loving and powerful. As he is glorified, all men are drawn to him and they are saved. Because they see his beauty. They see his love. They see his mercy offered through the cross. Me glorifying me, that could be the most hateful possible thing I could do because I can't save. We will use our right hand if we're right hand dominant without even thinking about it. If we are forced to, we'll use our non-dominant hand. But if we're forced to, forced to, we'll use our teeth. And this is what the sovereign God did for Peter. Christian, here's my challenge to you. Make Jesus the hero of his own story when you tell it. And tell it often, saints. There's somebody this week who needs to hear you tell the Jesus story. And it might be woven in and out of your story, right? But who's the hero? This is mission critical, saints. We are jars of clay. The treasure inside us is the gospel, the good news that Jesus has offered himself on a cross to wash away the sins of anyone who would believe. And that treasure is either shared or it is not shared. Those are the only two options. Have you been marked? Have you been shaped by failure? Have you been shaped by shameful moments? Have you been shaped by embarrassing moments? 
And is it possible that the Lord allowed that to give you the humility that you need to proclaim a humble gospel? Guys, our world is filled with these preconceived notions about Christians where we show up as if we're obeying all the rules and we're really good moral people and we're just trying to turn you into a really good moral person. And that is not how the Christian gospel operates. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I didn't do that. (laughs) I was blind, but now I see. I didn't do that. Christian, go tell the story of God this week. There is a unique relationship that you have. I virtually guarantee it. There is somebody in your life this week who needs to hear the story of God. And if you can identify your betrayed Jesus three times moment, maybe, just maybe, you and I can preach like Peter later in the book of Acts. You want to know where boldness comes from? Knowing you're not the point. You want to share that timidity that every one of us feels in this culture of, oh my gosh, they're going to be upset that I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. You know where boldness comes from? Jesus emptying his own tomb. And I had nothing to do with it. That's where boldness comes from. Let me pray for us. Father, ask your Holy Spirit to really teach us this text. Lord, maybe we need to spend more time this week reading through and rereading through and asking questions of the text. God, help us to wrestle with Peter's perspective. Help us to wrestle with John's perspective. And for sure, Lord, help us to see things from your perspective. God, help us to hear what you're saying from this story, from this occurrence. And God, give us humility, please. God, we want humility and we want courage and we want boldness. We want to live lives that count for your kingdom, God. God, we thank you so much that you're a merciful God who comes behind our failure and restores us and sends us. God, please make ARCF a people that are so enraptured, Lord, with your victory and not ours victory that you purchased, victory that you gave as a gift to your people. That we would be humble, that we would be gentle, that we would be compassionate, that we would be kind. God, I ask for perhaps the scariest gift of all. Would you allow us to be a people who knows how to deal with sin not the way that Pharisees deal with sin, but the way that you, Jesus, deal with sin. 
Help us to take it seriously, God, because your cross is a serious and beautiful thing. God, in this culture that tells us and tells you that we hate them if we think someone's doing something morally wrong, we need your Spirit's guidance and your Spirit's wisdom where we can show somebody that the only way for you to never be wrong is for God to not exist. God, we need your leadership. Help us to joyfully embrace Citrus Heights, God, as a ministry. God, help us to joyfully embrace this uh, elementary school that's gonna be built back behind this building. God, help us to joyfully embrace every person we come in contact with during our week. May our lives exude love. We love you, Jesus, but help our love to grow. It's in your name we pray. Amen.